All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on 2 Timothy. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And in this section, Paul really describes the social situation or the social condition that's making life hard for Timothy and the church in Ephesus, and that will continue to make ministry difficult all the way up until Jesus comes again. And to keep it in context, we have to recall that Paul has been calling Timothy to be strong and to be faithful and even to suffer hardship for his service to Jesus. He's urged Timothy to not engage in word wars and quarrels that are stirred up by the false teachers that Timothy is encountering there in Ephesus. And he's called Timothy to pursue godliness, to discipline himself, train himself unto godliness. And he's even told him that while you shouldn't engage in word wars, there is a time where you're going to need to wisely and gently correct false teaching. And in the midst of all of that, Timothy must keep in mind the daily realities he's facing in the culture around him. And so that's where Paul turns here in this section. And so in verses 1 through 5 of this section, Paul paints a picture of the culture around Timothy in broad brushstrokes. And it's really a picture of fallen human culture that was true in Timothy's day and will continue to be true until Christ returns. And then in verses 6 through 9, the second half of this section, Paul says it's people like that, like that broad description, who lead other people astray. In fact, the false teachers that Timothy is encountering are like that. And so here we begin with, in verses 1 through 5, a description of fallen human culture that makes faithful ministry hard. Here's what Paul writes. He says, but realize this, verse 1, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And that phrase, last days, we've got to be careful to make sure we understand it the way Paul understood it. It's a broad phrase, and in the New Testament, it's used for the entire time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. You can see that, for example, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the very birthday of the church. Uh, Peter there in Acts 2 quotes the prophet Joel from the Old Testament, and in quoting it, he's saying that what they're experiencing there in that moment on the day of Pentecost is the fulfillment of that quote from what Joel prophesied in Joel chapter 2, and that prophecy begins with, uh, in the last days, dot, 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 and then it goes on. Well, Peter is saying there in Acts chapter 2 that the last days were beginning on the day of Pentecost. You see the same sort of thing in Hebrews chapter 1, where uh, uh, the author of Hebrews says, in these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. And so the last days was viewed by the early church and the New Testament authors as beginning with Jesus' first coming uh, and his death, burial and resurrection, as ascension into heaven. And it really covers that whole time period between his first coming and his second coming. And the point here in 2 Timothy 3.1 is that uh, these last days, this time period Timothy was living in, we're currently living in, these last days are going to be difficult days and it's going to be hard to be a faithful follower of Jesus and to be a faithful servant of Jesus. Why is that? Well, because the human condition is going to create a difficult environment in which to live and act and be holy and be faithful. 
And that condition, that human condition, is going to make it hard to teach the word of truth as Paul has been calling Timothy to do. And so what Paul does, beginning in verse 2 and following, is he paints a general picture with broad brushstrokes by means of what's typically called a vice list. That is a list of uh, vices or bad behaviors that characterize fallen human culture in these last days. And so Paul writes, beginning in verse 2, for people. Notice the word for. It's explaining. Like, here's why difficult times are going to come, Timothy. Here's why it's going to be hard to be faithful. For people will be lovers of self. A broad general description of the human condition that's going to make it hard. They're going to be lovers of self, lovers of money. They're going to love wealth and riches, and they'll do whatever they can to get it. They're going to be boastful, arrogant, slanderers. That is running people down, right? So they're going to be proud. They're going to be arrogant. They're going to run other people down. Disobedient to parents. Right there in the middle of this vice list, you get disobedient to parents, which interestingly enough, in Paul's vice list at the end of Romans chapter one, you get the same phrase, disobedient to parents. This was not a minor thing. This is, this is uh, for Paul, a description of or characteristic of fallen human culture. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, like they they just don't care about holy things or God. They're not set apart and different and distinct from the fallen world. Unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. It doesn't matter what you do. They just won't work with you and, and they can't get along with people. They can't get along with you. They're irreconcilable. That's the sense of that word. Malicious gossips, right? They they spread uh, hurtful, mean-spirited, malicious sort of slander about people without self-control. Brutal. That word means untamed. That's literally the, what this word brutal means. It's the idea of savage. These are just brutal people. Untamed. They're savage. Uh, haters of good. Rather than uh, being lovers of good, they, they hate it, really. Uh, they might put on a show, but they're haters of good. Treacherous. Uh, in verse four, and maybe a, a better everyday word than treacherous is they're backstabbers. That's the idea. The word means betrayers. You can't trust them. They, they, they're they so in love with themselves that they're going to serve themselves, which means if need be, they'll stab you in the back to get what they want. Uh, treacherous, backstabbers, reckless, that is rash, thoughtless. Uh, he mentions again, conceited. He already mentioned up above that they were they were boastful and arrogant. Now he comes back to that conceited, right? Self-centered, self-serving, proud. And then he ends the list by saying, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Whatever makes them feel good, whatever uh, is enjoyable to them, right? They are lovers of pleasure. And they're really, in a sense, hedonists in the pure kind of degraded sort of sense. They love pleasure. They don't really love God. And then he makes this description in verse five. He says, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. What does that mean? Well, the idea is, is that they have a form of godliness. They can appear religious. They look spiritual. They might even be involved in religious or spiritual things. They they perhaps like certain religious uh, functions or religious ritual, rituals. So they have an appearance, a form of quote-unquote godliness, uh, 
and yet they have denied its power. That is the life-giving and life-changing power of genuine, true godliness. They've denied it. And the evidence that they've denied it is in the way they act as the previous list has just described. Uh, Their behavior and their character demonstrates that although they appear godly, they appear religious, they appear spiritual, They don't know the power, the life-changing power of genuine, true godliness. And so Paul's advice to Timothy, and by extension to us, is this. At the end of verse 5, he says, avoid such people. Avoid people like this. Avoid people who are conceited and treacherous, who are brutal and irreconcilable, who are gossips and slanderers and look to harm people. Avoid such people. And the false teachers there in Ephesus are people like this, as Paul is about to tell Timothy in a very short time. And Paul's advice is avoid them. And the fact that Paul tells Timothy to avoid people like this clearly indicates that Paul didn't have some future time in mind that uh, things were going to get really, really bad. And, you know, that's when the last days are going to start. No, they're present in Timothy's time. They're present in Timothy's place there in Ephesus. And Timothy must avoid them. And that's because this phrase, last days, covers this whole time period from Timothy's day right up until the present, all the way until Jesus comes back. And then what Paul does is, in verses 6 through 9, is he explains further, and it seems like he explains in terms of what's happening in the church there in Ephesus that Timothy is leading and that Timothy needs to deal with some of these issues. And so Paul says in verse 6, For among them, that is among people like those he just described in that vice list, among them. And then Timothy describes one of the things the false teachers in Ephesus have been doing that's actually causing troubles in the church. So among them are those who slip into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, we we shouldn't take this as some sort of cultural stereotype that puts down women. The fact is, both men and women can be, and throughout history have been, led astray by false teachers and false prophets. In fact, Paul is going to mention some men very shortly, and the false teachers in uh, Ephesus that are troubling Timothy in the church there are men. And so this isn't a put down to women. That's not a cultural stereotype that uh, demeans or looks down on women. Rather, what's going on in verses 6 and 7 is a description of the current situation that Timothy is dealing with. Um, The false teachers are uniquely and particularly preying on women, uh, particularly a certain kind of woman, it says. When it says weak women, the idea is more of gullible women. There are some women who in the church at Ephesus were particularly gullible and um, they were susceptible to the false teaching of these false teachers there in the church. And Paul also says these women are weighed down with sins. That is, they're loaded down with either past sins and maybe some of the guilt and the shame that that brings on them, right? And the the particular kind of just kind of cowering and they're easily manipulated because of that, because they're so... They're so beat down and weighed down by that, or maybe present sins, uh, and the false teachers are taking advantage of that. 
And so that's the point. These false teachers took advantage of these particular women. They slipped into their homes or maybe even more kind of graphically wormed their way into their homes and in their life. And they preyed on the various desires of these women. And these false teachers then taught these women, but actually never gave them anything solid and true. Uh, they didn't learn the full truth about godliness and about Jesus and about the gospel and about the spirit. And so uh, they were always learning. These, they were always listening and learning and getting all these things, but they never actually were able to close their mind on the, the true solid teaching about Jesus. Now, in context, what Paul really is focusing on is the false teachers themselves. The women here that he mentions are those that have been taken advantage of and captivated by these false teachers. And so in verse 8 and following, Paul comes back to describe the false teachers themselves a little bit more. And so he says in verse 8, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, worthless in regard to the faith. And notice how strongly Paul holds these men, these false teachers who are male, um, accountable for their behavior, for what they've done to these particular women, for the trouble they're stirring up in the church. And he compares them to two people. He gives two names, Janus and Jambres. Who were they? Well, these were the names given in, a, in Jewish tradition to the court magicians of Pharaoh when Moses confronted Pharaoh himself, and then his court magicians tried to imitate and mock uh, the, the powerful actions that Moses was doing. So that's where those names come from. They are traditional Jewish names that aren't mentioned in the story of the Exodus, but over the course of time and Jewish tradition, these are the names that were attributed to the court magicians there of Pharaoh. Paul describes them here as uh, men who oppose the truth. So they oppose truth, they prefer falsehood, and they use falsehood to, to uh, gain control of people. And he says they are men of depraved minds. Uh, and that word depraved is used only here in the New Testament, but it's used often in the Greek version of the Old Testament. And what it describes is really like morally bankrupt. Um, it's, it's the word that's actually used to describe the moral world of uh, that time that led to the flood. And so when you think of a world that was so morally bankrupt that God flooded the whole world, this is the word that's used to describe that world. It's used in the prophets for um, the, the, the moral situation that's going to cause God to bring judgment on the world. And so when Paul says, men of depraved mind, this is a strong, powerful word saying these men are just morally bankrupt and corrupt. They're the kind of people that God judges strongly and harshly. And so that's how strong Paul is holding these false teachers accountable. He says they're worthless in regard to the faith. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they claim. It doesn't matter how they appear. It doesn't matter that maybe you know they've been involved in the church. It doesn't matter that they have connections to the church. It doesn't matter that they you know try to appear spiritual or religious and claim to know more than the actual leaders of the church. They are actually worthless with regard to the faith. And the idea of worthless is they don't pass inspection. When they are examined and inspected, they are found to be illegitimate. They are found to be uh, false, not legit. And therefore, they have no value and no legitimacy 
concerning the true faith of Jesus. Then Paul goes on in verse 9 and says, but they will not make further progress. A re- really a reassurance to Timothy that even though these guys have been stirring up trouble, uh, Paul's giving Timothy some instructions for how to deal with them. And Paul's like, they're not, they're not going to win. They're not going to make further progress for their foolishness will be obvious to all, just as was that also of Janus and Jambres. And so Paul brings in this Jewish tradition and says, just like it became very evident very quickly that those court magician, uh, magicians of Pharaoh in the Exodus story couldn't keep up with the true power of God. Same is true for these false teachers. It's going to become clear and obvious to all how foolish and weak they actually are. Now, as we wrap up this section, really the dominant question here in this paragraph is, what is ungodly culture like? In this, these days between Jesus' first coming and second coming, what is ungodly culture like? And Paul describes that ungodly culture here. And while we do have to guard against uh, an us versus them mindset, I think it's really important for us to be aware of that. Like we, we don't want to slip into us against them mindset in the church. And honesty requires those of us who are followers of Jesus to acknowledge our own need for grace, our own shortcomings, right? We have to acknowledge all of that. At the same time, we also need to be aware that human culture, apart from God, is degenerate. Uh, And left to its own devices, it will go from bad to worse. And we need to admit this so that we can avoid that kind of thing in the church, Uh, that there are different values, there are different cultures. There are different ways of being human. And in the church, we have a particular vision for what human flourishing looks like passed on to us from the wisdom of Jesus. And that's what we have to embody. And so we at least have to acknowledge that the culture of the world is not the culture that Jesus wants his people to embody. And therefore, we need to acknowledge that so that we can avoid such ungodliness in the church. And we also need to acknowledge it and admit it so that we can avoid the landmines in the culture around us. We have to be aware that there are landmines in the culture around us, and we have to at least acknowledge that uh, the culture of fallen humanity, what it's like and how ungodly it is. And so like Timothy, If we acknowledge that, we can be aware of pretenders infiltrating the church and we can look at their character and their manner of life and say, no, that's not the way Jesus taught us. That's not the way that is right. That's really Paul's call to Timothy here is to do just that by being mindful of what fallen human culture actually looks like. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this session on the Listener's Commentary. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported, crowdfunded Bible teaching ministry that is made possible by the generous support of people just like you. So thanks a ton for your support. If you're one of those who faithfully support this ministry, if you want to join the team of supporters, uh, you can do so by swinging over to listenerscommentary.com, listenerscommentary.com. Click the Give button in the upper right, and it'll take you to a page where you can set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation. All donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission, uh, and that money comes then directly to this ministry so that we can continue to expand and increase and make an impact in people's lives all around the world. So thanks a ton for your support.